Uh, so, all right. Uh, for this uh, Epiphany season, this is the season of Epiphany, I thought I'd walk us through uh, the topic that can be one of the scariest uh, for modern Western Christians, uh, prayer. Uh, and I say this because uh, if you've ever been at a group function with a whole bunch of Lutherans, and I say this, I'm a cradle Lutheran. I kid because I love, but, you know, we get there. We sit down in a group. We all love the Lord. We all love Jesus. But when the committee meeting is about to start, and the chair says, who wants to start us with a prayer? We become like the non-church-going guy at pre-marriage counseling with his church-going fiancé sitting in front of the pastor for pre-marriage counseling, and he's asked a question about his feelings. And suddenly there's things all over the floor that are really interesting. (laughs) You know, we may say to ourselves, I love the Lord, but asking me to pray out loud, eh, you know, I mean, I'm not all that good at that. What are people going to say? Uh, What if it comes out really boring? What if I can't do it all smooth and fancy like Judy at the women's rally? You know Judy. Judy, Judy is the one where her prayers are so good, they go on YouTube. And, and people, listen, people listen to Judy, and she's smooth, and, and you know, she's done, and, and, and you can just feel it in her face, you can feel the Spirit. And she's not faking it, she just has a gift. And, uh, and, and, and you get done, and you're like, man, I can't, I can't do that, all right. And Judy goes, now, Don, can you do it? And Don's like, help me with my SAT test next week. One is not better than the other. But so we get nervous. Well, you know, prayer, you're talking to God. It's not a performance. It's not the glee club. You know, it's not like my high school theater group where he who emotes most wins. So that's the first thing that gets us. We we can get hung up on presentation. Uh, But there's a deeper, there's a second problem that runs a lot deeper that I think we really struggle with. And we probably don't even think about it consciously all the time. Uh, But it's there. And it's the fear of asking God to do something. Actually do something. I I, I got really confronted with this. I was at a... uh, It's a long story how I ended up there. But I ended up at this party with a bunch of indie band rockers down by the university. Um, I get invited to weird places. Um, and so I'm down there, but I thought this was kind of cool. So there are all these 20-somethings. They, they've all recent college grads. And there's one guy there, and he got talking to me. And, you know, you, you tend to expect that at a thing like this, it would all be about, like, music and, and you know, sort of superficial stuff. But I ended up talking to this guy, and he, he's a vet. I uh, had done, I don't know how many tours in I, Iraq. He's a chopper pilot. And he drove Apaches, and he drove Chinooks, the big ones that put all the people on them. And he came back, he, he said it, it, it was rough. He saw a lot of people die. He made a lot of people die. He had a lot of people literally had their lives in his hands as he's trying to land this chopper and the gunfire's coming through. And, and he said it really it messed with him. And the way he dealt with it was to go and do Buddhist meditation. And I never got out of him why he didn't do Christian meditation. But, and this guy didn't just dabble with it in an app. This guy actually like went to Tibet and sat in a monastery for like a year 
He, this guy wasn't joking. But he sat down and he asked me a question, or he stood there, and, you know, as we're holding our, our Heinekens or whatever it was, probably was much more fancy than that, you know. It was probably like a fat tire microbrewed in Fort Collins or something. But anyways, um, as we're sitting there chit-chatting, he looks at me and he goes, now, when you pray, do you pray that God will change things? Or do you just pray that God will align your will with his? You don't expect to get that question at a university party, do you? And I had to stop, and I had to think. I'm like, well, what do I do? And I had to admit to him that, yeah, I get a little nervous about asking God to pray to change things. I, I was kind of convicted. And because uh, uh, I had to admit that I don't always pray for God to change things. You know, and I think he was trying to get, us to get me to think that rethink how I do it. That it isn't an either-or question to ask God to change me or to ask God to change things. But as a modern person who lives in this scientific world where words like supernatural are dirty words, where we're taught that the world is basically what they call a closed system, everything is caused by everything within here, and God isn't in that closed system. And in that world, we get embarrassed to pray for God to actually do something because it implies that God's got a hand in this closed system and he's messing with things and that's not scientific and we don't want to get made fun of. You know, or, or maybe we just bought into the idea of it. We don't even realize we've done it until that vet asks you, do you really pray for God to change things? So when we're asked to pray, do we say, God, show me your will. God, teach me your way. God, tell me what the answer is. God, give me strength to get through this. I've done all those. They're all good prayers. And then along comes, of course, your, your much more excited Baptist friend who gets up there and he prays for God to change things. He prays for rain. He prays for, you know, he prays for rain. He prays for a shrunken tumor. He prays for... John to get a new job. He, you know, he prays. I, I, I was at a church one time. It was, I was at a Pentecostal church one time as a kid. We went, we did the, as, as Lutheran kids, touring the other churches. And this was a Lutheran Pentecostal church. They, they existed in the 80s. And, um, and huge church. And they were rebuilding their roof. And I remember all of us, we kind of sat in the back, you know. And uh, the pastor gets up and he goes, anyone have announcements? And Jerome stands up. Jerome was a French guy. He stood up and he said, um, anybody know where my axe went? I was working on the roof yesterday and I'm, I'm looking for my axe. Anybody know where my axe is? Thought honest question. Well, the pastor started praying. Dear Lord, dear Lord, we pray that Jerome will find his axe. <laughs> dear Lord, we pray that you will open our minds, that you will, you will show us with a vision to see where Jerome's axe is. And so he starts in this prayer. And then a guy in the back stands up. Wait, is it the one with the blue handle? <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's it. Hey, we found his axe. Praise the Lord! And the whole church started coming up and dancing. And I was like, did God work or not work? I'm not going to say it wasn't God. But there's something... You know, when you step outside the main, us mainline Christians, there's not that fear of, a, of asking God to actually do anything 
or the fear of believing that God actually intervenes. In fact, again, our Lutheran friends in Africa, they have no problem believing that God intervenes in things. So, again, a prayer to align myself with God's will, in some ways that's kind of private, and keep it in here, you know? And, uh, you know, and so we say, well, thanks God, thanks God for being with me. So, to get back to the Lord's Prayer, get back to the Lord's Prayer. I want to, the reason I'm doing this little series to start with, for Epiphany, is so we can revisit this idea of how we pray. And Jesus' disciples, they had, this, they had the same question to him. It's not a new question. What do we pray for? They asked him for guidance on this. They wanted to know God's will. They wanted to learn God's ways. They wanted God to fix things. But how do you ask for that? So Jesus looks at them and says, first... Don't go on and on and on with empty words, trying to impress people with all your empty words. But pray this way, Matthew 6. And we've seen this. We know this. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is almost exactly what we read in our liturgy, right? Your kingdom come. Give us your daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Don't bring us to the time of trial. Rescue us from the evil one. And then the ending that we don't do at service. You know, imagine that. We all stand there and we raise our hands. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen! We probably don't want to end with that, right? A little bit of a threat. You better forgive her else, bucko. But, so, that's what I'm going to do the next few weeks. Walk through some of these lines a little bit. Um, Rather than do them all at one time. It starts out, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, honored, respected. So what Jesus is saying is pray that everyone, that God's name will be respected. Not just that you will respect it, but that it will be respected. That kind of implies that we're going to pray that one day God will bring everyone to respect his name. Sounds kind of bigger. That's a global mission thing, right? That's probably not how we always look at it. But I think Jesus is thinking in a bigger picture. And because I don't have time to go through every line, let's go to the next one. And we'll stay on this one. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now to understand this, you've got to step back. I want to challenge you to step back and put on your imagination hat. If you're a Conan O'Brien hat fan, turn the lights down and put out a flashlight. And think of yourself as being out there, just you under the stars, nobody's disturbing you. It's just you in the universe, and you're asking God to show you what his world looks like. And you're sitting there saying, dear God, show me what the world looks like where you are. Show me a world where you are in charge, where everything is done the way you want it. Show me a world where everything you wanted to happen, happened. Show me, God, what that is like. Put on your imagination hat for a second. And you let God do some teaching. Give you a vision of a godly world. What does it look like? I imagine a world where there's no poverty, where everyone has enough to eat, and a place to sleep, and nobody's left out in the cold or the heat. 
I imagine a world where nobody's alone, where everyone has someone who loves them, where everyone is wanted and needed. I imagine a world where nobody is sick or in pain, where people don't have tumors and car wrecks don't kill people. Imagine a world where people, nobody makes fun of others or hurts or rapes others, where there's no war or violence. I imagine a world where there isn't one part of town where people are throwing money away on useless stuff and another where they can't put food on the table. Doesn't that sound like a cool world? No wars, no hunger, no pain. In Revelation, we get this kind of a vision. When God says he's going to bring his city to earth, and it says here, And I saw the holy city coming down out of heaven. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. His mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. Doesn't that sound cool? No mourning, no crying, no death, no pain. That's a vision of God's kingdom. That's what the world looks like when God is in control. When God does things his way. And that's just a little bit of it. So think about it for a minute. Jesus is saying that what we are supposed to ask for in our prayers is that God will transform the kingdoms of this world to be like the kingdoms of his world. And you get the sense that in God's world, this is already the case. And that what we're asking for is that God's perfect world without war and pain and tears and death will become the same as the world we live in. Your kingdom come. The number one thing Jesus talked about in the Gospels if you measure it by how often he said it, is not sin and forgiveness, it's it's not moral rules, it's the kingdom of God. And maybe we gloss over it because it's hard to kind of figure out what it means because, you know, he didn't build a kingdom with a regular throne, so if it's not that, what is it? But he definitely said things like this, Luke 8. You know, here's an example of the kingdom of God coming to earth. Uh, It says, soon afterwards, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who'd been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. So what was happening here? Jesus was part of God's kingdom. And where he was, God's kingdom broke into the world. When people encountered Jesus, they were changed. Things happened. Demons were cast out. People were healed. Outcasts were welcome, and they found friends. Mary Magdalene, not a prostitute. It never says that in the Bible. She was someone who was cured by demons and even follows Jesus and becomes an almost disciple. In many ways, she becomes more faithful than the others because they scatter. She stays at the cross. But here she is, an outcast, nobody will touch, and now she's got a family and a job. This is things changing. 
really, truly changing. This is the kingdom of God breaking in. And so Jesus is telling us that when we pray, we are to pray that he will begin to change things here to be like they already are there. Change things. And this is kind of revolutionary stuff. It can get you killed. It got him killed. Because in our world, there are a lot of people who are hungry and poor and sick who would love to have an encounter with a God who could bring healing and change. And on the other hand, there's a lot of people making a lot of money of people being poor and sick. If you start healing them all and raising them out of their poverty, well, somebody might lose their labor force. Or they might lose their market. You know, the pharmaceutical company, if you walked around going, hey, I got a cure for diabetes. One shot, you'll never have to take insulin again. You know what's going to happen to me? I better run because every pharmaceutical company is going to be hiring Vinny and Guido to find me. 120 bucks a shot? You start healing, Jesus starts running around healing people. He's going to become public enemy number one. So the kingdom of God, when it comes, is going to be disruptive. It's going to be powerful and life-changing for some and irritating and threatening for others. But that's what Jesus says to pray for. That he would change our world and make it the kind of place that it's going to be when he comes again and really fixes everything. So what does he say to pray? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Or maybe put it another way. We'll put it another way. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you will step into our world and heal the sick, overthrow those who oppress us, bring new life to those who suffer, transform the world to be a more kind and just place, not just at the end of time but now for us here today. Amen.